we go, everybody. Welcome to the Alexander Lang Show. Uh, we have, uh, I think this may be the first time, uh, Cameron, I've ever had a guest on the pod whose pod I've also been on. There you go. Novel. It's a, it's a novel idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what we're going to do is we have um, Cameron McCormick here. Cameron, how do you, how do you uh, introduce yourself to people that are curious about you in an elevator or, or any location for that matter? A failed professional golfer who was forced into coaching the game to stay in the game. Uh, husband of a beautiful wife and uh, father of two wonderful kids of 11 years old and, well, almost 11 years old and nine years old. Living in Dallas, Texas, an Australian kind of expat um, moved to the United States to pursue golf. So I've asked about a hundred people that question, and you, that would be the best answer I've ever gotten. Just, <laughs> just succinct. It's all right. downhill from here. Are you sure you haven't served? It sounds like a military answer a little bit. <laughs> um, but so we'll get into your story, and then we're going to take a break. And Corey's here, Corey Lundberg, who you um, business partner in Altus, business partner in Altus, mm-hmm. and um, I'm sure you guys have your uh, own origin story of your own podcast, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, um, I guess, what I mean, to go right into it, you, um, you, I, I have a feeling, like I've obviously never taken a lesson from you, but you focus primarily on what in a, in a, in a lesson with a student? A student needs. So they're going to stand in front of me if I've never met them before. I'm going to try and gather as much informa- information about them in a short period of time about where their game's at, what they desire, what limitations they have in time, in resources, in mobility, et cetera, et cetera. And that might be five to 30 minutes of a conversation. Uh, Hopefully that's done in advance. But again, going back to the root question is, what are they gonna get from me? They're gonna get what they want as well as what they need. And sometimes those two things are miles apart, aren't they? Someone comes with an understanding of wanting to improve their game and they think they need to hit it further, or they think they need to hit a draw versus the maybe left-right shape uh, slice or a fade for a right-handed player. And sometimes that's true and sometimes it's not. And so there's a conversation that goes on trying to find a meeting point between or a balance between what they think they want and what they actually need to improve their game and enjoy golf more. And I think underpinning that is the understanding that I'm a skills first, style second coach, and that's the ethos at Altus is as long as we can do with the golf ball what we need to do to enjoy our game, to achieve the goal of hopefully shooting a lower score, then it really doesn't matter how it looks as long as it's functional. So function over form, skills over style. Uh, this is not about me, but I am curious to know. I, I, it was surprising for me to hear you say other people also have this sort of, I don't know if it's an egotistical desire to uh, prefer a draw mm-hmm. over a cut. Because I've, I've sort of, uh, I look at 2019 as the year where I succumbed to hitting a cut. And it's going well this uh, thus far, even though <laughs> even though I sacrificed a lot of uh, you know um, pride in the mirror and a couple yards. But why? I mean, is it just because why? I don't understand. So you ate humble pie and you're tolerating the slice, or so you're tolerating the the fade is what you're talking about. It's it's a it's a cut. It's a fade. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I think that if we go back, there's this impression and, and a misconception probably that the best players in the world play a draw, and quite frankly, they don't. I think if you drew all of the players on the PGA European and even the LPGA on a continuum across the board, the left side being fade and the right side being draw, you'd have just as many players on the left side as you would the right side. Uh, now, it's the excessiveness of the curve that probably compels a recreational player, an amateur, to say, mm, I need to change it to the opposite curve rather than just softening 
the oh. amount of curve that they play. Slice being slice being so, a common exactly right. Sli- crop duster slice being the one that curves into the trees pretty darn <laughs> quick. Versus the soft fade that you see most of the players in the PGA Tour play, and the net of it is that there's a lot of efficiencies in. Better way for me to say it. A player learning to hit a draw is like pushing a rope uphill. It's really difficult. And the reason for that is the club face is coming open to the target in the downswing, right? The club face is actually probably 12 inches before the ball still pointed some 25 degrees to the right of target. It's massively to the right, essentially. So if it's going to be open, then we may as well play with an open club face relationship and curve it from left to right. It's the easiest. It's the path of least resistance. So rather than pushing rope uphill, let's pull it uphill. You following me? Wow. Uh, Meta. Well, I guess let's let's <laughs> we, just let's we can just, insert a video explanation. <laughs> well, we're I get it. We're looking. We're we're about to enter the weeds, and I'm gonna go. Mm-hmm. We're going rabbit hole. Here we go. Uh, Gabe Hirschfeld, right? You 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 know Gabe? Mm-mm. Gabe golf. Anyway, Gabe Hirschstead. Hirschstead. Mm-hmm. That's his name, and so that's why you didn't know the first guy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, love Gabe. I know him by his first name. Uh, mm-hmm. First name basis. Gabe and I. <laughs> I was with Gabe last week. Oh, he's such a great guy. Yeah, he's awesome. We ran into him at Rancho the other day. And, As you would. And he's such a nice guy. He's just And he's just pumped on the game. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously developed a, a, a really wonderfully interesting swing trainer with the timing. Yep. The Hideki. The magnetic. Yeah. Yeah. But he was like, oh, you know, I was going through my thing too. Where I'm like, I'm getting stuck. I get blocked or whatever. And he was like, put the ball back in your stance and open the club face if you want to hit a draw. And I was like, that's mind blown. That's literally, I have to leave now. That's not <laughs> true. That's not true. But then it was true. Mm-hmm. And my ball striking has improved in the past couple of weeks. Beautiful. But now you're saying you've converted back to a draw in the last couple of weeks? What I've done is the irons have straightened out. Yeah. And then I just put the ball up in my stance, close the club face, and I just swing for the fences and hit a cut off the tee with yeah. the driver. Beautiful. But, and that's what he said. is Cut is put the ball forward, close the club face, or square club face at address, mm-hmm. and just pull across the ball. Right. Now, but I've, why, why is everything changing all the time? Is it me or is it actual science? I think that what you're dealing with right there, when you put the ball back, you're catching it early in the arc. Early in the arc means the club path is moving to the right of target. So that's one of the elements that you need in order to be able to to play a draw. The logic behind the open club face is a greater compulsion, a greater point of attention that you need to make to make sure you get that club face snap close at the bottom. So when you see an open club face at the bottom, your brain is then compelled to, holy shit, I better close this thing, otherwise it's going to go miles to the right, which then enables you to hit that draw. Right. The counter logic to that on the forward side of the arc, when the club's rising up, it's actually traveling further left than what it would be as it's traveling down, and so it makes it easy to hit a fade. And the reason you're going to play from what you termed it a closed club face and then revise that to square club face is so you don't feel like it's going to be the crop duster slice. So you can feel like you get more of a bleeder fade or a squeeze fade that if it does anything... It's not going to curve enough. It's going to kind of hang down the left side. And that's the um, oxymoron probably in like all reality, the power of fade. Because in reality, a draw, given the way it's striking the ball, is going to come up with more ball speed given the same clubhead speed and the same contact location. So if you hit a draw out of the center of the face and a fade out of the center of the face with the same club delivery, same club speed, the draw is going to go further. It's going to have more ball speed at least. Yeah. Okay, we can... So now we can... uh... We can, shift. Uh, we can uh, Let's pivot out of this. This episode of The Swing Fix is now over. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you did something interesting there. You, you, I was, you, you, uh, you said, you reiterated what I said as far as closed and square and, and, uh, and the, it was, how important is listening for you and your job? It's the most essential skill. 
And, and what are you listening for? I'm listening for your ideas. I'm listening for how does your concept fit with reality? Um, and are you I'm, crazy, AKA? Exactly, yeah, no doubt, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of, right? You've, you've passed that test though. You are not crazy, <laughs> not certif- at least not certifiably crazy. Not, not in this interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As we get deeper into it, we, we may tangentially go to a little bit more towards crazy. But yeah, I'm listening for what your ideas are, what your needs are, what your, your concepts, how concrete and solid they are, how, and how fixed you are to them as well. What would you say is the most interesting thing you hear when you're really, because I can tell you're a really good listener, that's why I bring it up. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the most interesting thing you actually hear from, from people, not even just students, but hear, just, just people? Hear or can infer, because when you're listening, you're listening for words, but you're also looking and trying to interpret the language behind them, right? The body language that oh. you, you're, you've got a BS detector that's going on inside your head as well. So you're but, the uh, sh- swing Sherlock. Yeah, like the BS detector was going off when I was going down the rabbit hole of draw fade technique. I'm like, oh, crap, he doesn't want to go there. You could tell. <laughs> well, could it's, tell. it's not that I don't want to go there. It's that I know that uh, we've got a lot of people driving to work or mm-hmm. riding a lawnmower or on a train. And, you know, I, I guess what I know is, too, is like if you're not if you don't want to know about the swing or you don't want to work on the swing, the last thing you want to do is listen to it yeah, or talk sure. about it because because then you. Because then it's like you added a new ingredient to something that you thought was already good. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, moving on. Yeah. Uh, you li- list, what's the most interesting thing you hear people or infer? Mm. There's a lot of lies that people tell themselves. There's a lot of um, pitching a story to themselves to protect ego. That's the most interesting thing that I hear. And then getting underneath that ego to uncover the vulnerability so you can start from the same place, which is we're just trying to get better. And... Um, realize that you're a player out there recreationally and you may not hit it as far as the rest in your group and you don't need to play from the back tees. Move forward a set of tees. You're going to enjoy the game more. That's, that's the type of sobering reality that people need to take that dose of more often. Time out. You are uh, arguably top of the game. Swing coach, right? Swing coach is the, what do you use? What do you call it? A coach. Golf coach. Golf coach. Golf coach. Top. Swing coach, putting coach, short game coach, mental coach, strategy coach. Sure. Sometimes even a life coach, yeah. <laughs> which is a scary proposition. But you're up there. You're up there with the best of them. You've, you've, you've had many, many players on all tours win. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've had your own success and you've, uh, but you just said, you just said, I might enjoy it more, but why do you care if I enjoy it more? What do you're, I you're, care? You're, aren't you performance and, and results related? Yeah, but performance and results is enjoyment. When you shoot a lower score, when you hit better shots, you're smiling more. I mean, the net of it is I'm just trying to put smiles on faces. And if you enjoy it more, then you're playing more golf. If you're playing more golf, you're buying more Titleist golf balls. If you're buying more Titleist golf balls, Titleist might even pay me more. <laughs> Swipe up uh, for, for Cameron's uh, logoed ball. <laughs> um, that's great that you play vice balls. I didn't know oh, that. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Wind back 15 seconds, edit, delete. No, this is an unedited podcast. I, I, like, uh, I like all golf brands you know, because they support all my friends. Mm-hmm. And that's cool that, that we all have a you know, family to uh, feed with, uh, with these businesses. Um, but don't ever say that. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> what, um, but uh, that's interesting, man. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so uh, let's talk about the sand belt. Yeah. Let's talk about the sand belt. Um, what is that, how does that make you feel when you think about the sand belt? Makes the hair stand up at the back of my neck. In a good way. How many of your listeners do you think know what the sand belt is? Oh, I would say 30%. Okay. And, so, for, and for the 70% that don't, it is golf mecca. In a very, very condensed era, you have the most pristine, the best designed golf courses in the world from 100 years ago. Alistair McKenzie's just out the wazoo. 
Royal Melbourne, Kingston Heath, Metropolitan, Huntingdale, Victoria, and the list goes on. It just doesn't stop. And so you can, for pennies on the dollar, comparative to playing, let's say, in United States, anywhere where you can get on daily fees, you can go some, and play some of the best places in the world, in the, arguably the best sporting city in the world, Melbourne, where weather's kind of like San Francisco. It gets cool, but it also gets warm, uh, cool nights, hot days, and the grass conditions are always just real tight, firm, and fast. Yeah, it makes the hair stand, my back, stand up at the back of my neck. And as a young player, now I started in the game late, 15, 16 years old, and I wasn't a member of a sandbelt club, but that's what you had in your mind as the my piece de resistance. And I was with a buddy, and we would go sneak on. And uh, we played Royal Melbourne. We'd kind of cut the first hole out. We'd start on the second hole, and we'd make ourselves members of some of the best clubs in, in Australia. And when I go back, uh, people want me to disclose the identity of the person that I did that with. And I'm, I'm sworn to secrecy and sworn to secrecy at the number of times I was able to sneak on without being found out. Are we talking like 12 or like 100? Uh, probably closer to 25, 30 times. That's, that's a lot. That is a lot. That's yes. more times than probably out. most Royal, member, Royal Melbourne members played in that year. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. So um, Gil Hans calls it a fence member, fence membership. <clears throat> in what you, way? Because you, because he grew up around Marion, okay. and he would jump the fence and play Marion. There you go. And he called himself a, a fence member, meaning he was a member once he was able to climb the fence. Or love it. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't even give me a locker at the end of the day. <laughs> Might have locked you up. <laughs> so, so I, I got like I have. Um, I've only snuck onto one course, which is that. Cyprus, mm. but uh, Corey just Corey just Dayton looked up, <laughs> but uh, but that's another story. So, uh, were, were you, was it terrifying to sneak onto Royal Melbourne? Because I mean, Royal Melbourne is is not just a great golf course; it's it's sort of the business and political head of the golf courses in Melbourne. Am I correct? I mean, that's a fair statement. Yeah, and it wasn't a scary prospect, other than you're doing something you know that's against the law, against the rules. You're trespassing, and but. I think the reality was if we get caught, we just get asked to, we, they just asked us to leave, right? So um, we weren't in any way thinking about it like, oh, the what if scenario. We weren't troubleshooting, we weren't problem setting in our heads in <laughs> advance. We were like, we're going to go play Royal Melbourne, we're going to go play it today. And that was, that was this thing. We jumped in the car and we we're like, where are we going to sneak on today? Gangster. It was an adventure. It was an adventure in golf. <laughs> <laughs> <Ding>. <laughs> You, uh, I mean, because Royal Melbourne has this pretty formidable entrance. Like, there's like a mile-long driveway. Mm -hmm. Hedgerows. Hedges are like 20 feet tall. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I, I'm not uncomfortable. In, it's hard for me to find myself in an uncomfortable situation. Well, I mean, that's not entirely true. I mean, I, I, how do I say this? Anyway, Royal Melbourne made me, relatively speaking, over most golf courses that I enter into, I was like, whoa, this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Even though when we played, it was totally casual and I had a really great time. Um, but anyway, so, so you did that and then, uh, and then you said you got started in competitive golf a little late, mm -hmm. 16 uh, years old. And the guys that were, I was trying to compete against that had been well-developed to that point were Robert Allenby and Stuart Appleby. I love then, Stuart. We just played with him at Isleworth the other day. There you go. Great guy. And then right behind those guys was Aaron Badley and Jeff Ogilvie. And so those were the four that you were kind of looking up to. Stephen Allen included probably a little bit older than those other two. Those are the guys you look up to and you, you were chasing. And so I was starting a race from miles and miles behind in this marathon of developing your skills as a youth player. And the only way I could catch up or at least potentially catch up was to spend 
every waking hour absorbed and kind of infused into trying to develop my skills and playing as much golf as I could. And that meant I needed a longer time horizon to try and get to the level where they were at, which they were all turning pro out of amateur golf at 17, 18 years old. Uh, I mean, Bads won an Australian Open at, uh, at 17 years old, beating Greg Norman and I think Colin Montgomery might have been in that final group as well. Mm -hmm. So being exceptional at 16, 17, 18 year old, years old as they were, uh, I had to come to college to give myself a little bit more runway to develop and the net of it is I didn't really get all that good after all. Uh, well, I mean, I believe it all works out. Yeah. For a reason. You, uh, you, um, you talked about that, that phase of your life. Obviously, it's different for a lot of people, but I think most golfers experience it in some way, which is that uh, kind of puzzled, uh, puzzle-solving, obsessed phase of golf where, mm -hmm. you know, like for amateurs who aren't have any idea of going pro, they're just trying to sort of hit the center of the club or whatever. But, you know, I've, I've been interfacing with some new golfers recently, mm -hmm. and it's been so interesting to hear them sort of after a few months say something like, I want to be a scratch golfer. And I, I just love that. Yeah. And I just love that, like, that's invariably going to be your experience. When the golf bug hits, the symptom is sort of delusions of grandeur, but not <laughs> even really delusions, but, but just, this, just this, like, I'm going to drop everything in my life, even though I have no way of making money off of this hobby. But I want, I just, I just want to, you know, master it or whatever, be consistent. Or I just, I just want to get as close to the game as I can. Yeah. And that's the, the golf bug really is a marvelous time for, of fertility in our lives. Can, you know, you, I'm sure that you'll have a great way of contextualizing this in all of your experience with, with, you know, the thousands of people you've met in golf. Do you, do you see it as being a special time and, and why do you think it is so major when you're in it? I think that the opportunity to go out and play and hit really great shots exists for anyone, whether it's a 36 handicap or a zero handicap. And that's the allure, that's the hook, that you can experience the same feeling, the same quality of contact, the same flight, and the same accuracy, right? I've never had a hole-in-one in my life and probably played... Whoa, whoa. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we, we can unpack that later. I've hit a lot of great shots <laughs> in my life. Come on, I've, I've shot 65 on umpteen occasions. But nonetheless, never had a hole-in-one. You and I are going to do a hole-in-one challenge. There you go. We can We're do that going. later. Yeah, that'll be an afternoon activity. <laughs> but yeah, people can hit great shots like they see on TV, and that's the hook. And if you can do it once, then the thought in your mind, the aspirational side of you kicks in, you're like, I can do it again. And I think that it doesn't take much to trigger and spark that aspiration, which, which is why golf can be so immediately addictive, and why people think that they can go from recreational player of maybe 20, 15, 10, and think that they can drop three or four strokes off in a week or two weeks or a month of action. The, the challenge becomes when you deal a dose of reality there that they're trying to do something that they've never done before, um, akin to uh, driving from here maybe to Miami and not having a map, right? Not having a GPS uh, unit. They're trying to navigate to a place that they're just kind of feeling themselves out, kind of like driving in the dark, yeah? Um, is that a positive or a negative thing? I it's can't a negative. Tell. It's, it's a negative because it's okay. a very easy thing for them to get off track and uh, not know whether, number one, they're heading south from Orlando to, to Miami, and number two, not knowing whether they're on the right road and really not knowing the speed that they're traveling at. And that's where what I do and what Corey does and all of us collectively at Altus or even all of those that call, them, uh, call themselves instructors or coaches are charged with. We're charged with being the navigator, being the GPS uh, unit that gives them that position, direction, and velocity statement. Okay, here's where you're at. Here's where you need to get to. 
and here's the speed you need to be practicing at to make sure that you drop the two or three shots. But going back to the root question, it's, it's more of, it's easy to find the aspirational side of your, I guess, character or identity because of the opportunity to be really successful with one shot in a round of golf. I mean, going back to my junior days, I remember it. I remember it really well. I remember holding out a particular shot on a par four at Eastern Golf Club that's no longer existing in, in Doncaster, Victoria. And that being the reason very early on, maybe in my first two or three weeks of really being invested in golf, coming back and, and putting more time into it. I thought, oh yeah, I can be a pro just based on hauling out a shot on a par four with a pitching wedge. I mean, how ludicrous is that? That one shot gave me this identity, this, this ideal to say, okay, that's the mountain I'm going to climb. But silly. That's a, that's a common meme, you know, when you, uh, mm-hmm. when you have two good shots in a row, then you Google, how do I turn professional? <laughs> <laughs> that's actually one of my favorites. And it always makes me laugh. Um, Coming from your own experience. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I should have deleted that video. Um, you, uh, yeah, how do you, how do you um, think of your uh, mentors? Who, who, can you talk about where you uh, were inspired or, or who taught you? The most? Mm-hmm. My dad first and foremost, um, the most amazing work, work ethic to a fault. And I inherited that from him to a fault. Uh, but yet again, that's really largely why I'm able to um, do what I do with some of the best players in the world because I've turned over umpteen thousands of stones to try and gather all the inf- information I could. So I'm able to help them uh, immediately and with efficiency. So the solutions I give them are hopefully the right solution and hopefully they work immediately. And that comes from this underpinning of um, the principle of I'm just gonna read and research and watch and learn as much as I possibly can. So my dad's the primary inspiration. And the second inspiration is the game itself, the, the, the difficulties, but also the pleasures that come from it. And uh, then after that it would be the clients that I get to spend time with, that they inspire me to uh, do better for them uh, but at the same time, they also give me a sense of pride and accomplishment when they accomplish their goals, whether that's winning club championship, whether that's success in the pig wolf game, or whether that's success on the world stage. All of those things give me that same sense of, of pride that I'm on the right track. There have been many people along the way that I would call mm, coaches, the sage that you can sit at the feet at and, and learn from. Uh, but to do justice to all of them would be to, um, I guess how do I say it? Not do justice to some. You can't, right? you can't name them all. I can't name them all. Yeah. So I'll name one. Go. Coach Wooden. Oh, massive, massive influence, but n- never met him. But by extension through his books and, and through uh, an associate of ours who's a researcher on coaching expertise, Wade Gilbert, I feel like we have learned a lot about uh, his uh, pyramid of coaching and who he was. Can you um, can you explain a little bit about that? I have a feeling there's a handful no. of people who don't. <laughs> I feel like there's a handful of people who might not know uh, his career and 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 kind of how he felt. I think one of the most interesting things uh, that I've learned is is it's is he was not really interested in winning or score, mm-hmm. but but as a successful coach, he was interested in other things that transcended sport. And I have a feeling that might be what inspired you. Can you can you just sort of Talk, tell tell a little story about him or something. Or? Yeah, as best I can, and you can fact just fact this fact check. This it's all true. All you want. It's exactly, all true. Yeah, I mean, if it comes out of my mouth, it has to be true, yeah. right? <laughs> um, that's the primary misconception that I hold. But nonetheless, uh, Coach Wooden measured success or 
And I think that anyone who adopts that ethos of philosophy measures the success, not based on the win-loss column, not based on the score at the end of the game, but based on those things that aggregate to your best performance on any given day. And it was fundamentally observed in things that you did in practice. But even before you got to practice or even before you stepped on uh, the court or insert other sport, the field of play, it was dotting I's and crossing T's. It was making sure your, sh your shoelaces were tied. It was making sure that um, your socks were uh, worn or pulled up the right way. And those are very uh, surface examples, but they, they resonate and they hit the point of do the little things well and it aggregates to doing the big thing well. Uh, the big picture is only uh, a massive jigsaw puzzle and all the pieces need to fit together in order for your best performance to come. And at the same time, he was a coach to athletes, but more importantly than that, he was a coach to people. Uh, and the people that he had contact with, his reach extended beyond the court, beyond the uh, practice arena. Uh, it uh, bled into the greater community of, of coaches and athletes that um, never met him, and I'm included in that. Uh, and that's the influence that I think if he could reflect now from the grave, uh, he would say he was most proud of, that there was this... Uh, ripple effect like you drop the pebble into the water and yes you see the immediate result of the splash but then the people uh, those ripples last uh, for an extended period of time until they hit the shore and then they're reverberating back off the shore as well and that's probably the most compelling thing that uh, probably yeah it's one of the goal orientations that I have as well is that you can extend influence beyond face-to-face -face contact is you can extend influence at the PGA show let's say to peers that look up to you for advice, respect, and guidance. Um, and it can last for a long time. It lasts because they take it with them and they go back to the players they coach at their own club. And they say, I learned this from someone and I'm a better coach for it. Or maybe you don't even get credit for it and you don't need credit for it, but you know that they're doing a better job because of the one conversation or the one presentation you gave or the one question that you answered for them. And that's what Coach Wooden is to me and I think he is to most people that uh, embrace and value what they can learn from him. Uh, okay, and then, you know, how old are you when you're, where, 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 where is the place where you meet Jordan Spieth? Where are you? I'm he's, a, yeah, he's I'm, 12, you're late 20s? I can't remember, I don't do math really well, but it's 2006, I remember that. Um, born in 1973, so quick math go. Uh, 30, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> what did you say? What year? 2006. July okay, 33. Of, of 2006. And I'm six, seven years into my coaching career. And I've had some success to that point. And I'm at Brook Hollow Golf Club, Tillinghouse Course in Dallas, Texas. And I get a call from Jordan's dad. And he says, I've got a kid who's pretty good at golf. Would you be interested in taking a look? And I said, of course. And we talk about uh, his performance at that point. And he hadn't had much professional coaching or none at all, quite frankly. And uh, I meet him two weeks after that. And as part of that process of understanding who that person is, you sit down and you ask them questions. And the first question I said is, well, basically, why are you here? What do you want in golf? And how can I help you get that? He's like, I want to win the Masters. I paused. Oh. like, are you kidding me? 12, <laughs> 12 years old, just shy of his 13th birthday. And I said, okay, great. We can, <laughs> we can head in that direction, no problem. But um, tell me more about your golf game. And the story goes on. We talk for 30 minutes, and he says that uh, oh, my level of golf right now is pretty good. And I said, yeah, I did some research on you. I, I looked at the scores that you post on uh, in the recent tournaments, but 
your dad said that there was a tournament you were playing. This is in the phone conversation two weeks prior to our first meeting, and I couldn't find those scores. Can you tell me about it? He said, yeah, I won at the last tournament. And I said, well, congratulations. And he follows uh, with nothing. And I said, well, tell me about the performance because our starting point in getting you somewhere is knowing more about your golf game, your skills. And so there's a level of humility, even at 12 years old, to not want to tell me that he shot 63 in the final round in this junior golf event, regional golf event, and won the tournament by 18 shots. 63. <laughs> and that was my second Are You Kidding Me, Jordan Spieth moment, the first being when he sat down in front of me and said, Cam, I want to win the Masters. It came in pretty quick succession. Exactly, yeah, quick succession. And then uh, I said, cool, let's take a look at your skills. And he's a pretty good ball striker, decent putter, decent short game. But he came with a really funky... Uh, idiosyncratic movement, uh, something that was organic. It was just learned through his own experience, trial and error. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful because of what he could do with the ball. And so I turned off all the equipment, that the fancy equipment that you would to run diagnostics, the video, the track man, Sam Putlab. And I said, let's go play. I want to see this on the golf course. Um, almost in my mind calling bullshit on what this kid had. Because to that point, uh, I'd had experience with some really decent players, some actually really good players, a, a, a player that won on a web.com tour, multiple different professional players, but I'd never seen that level of skill show up with someone that young and with someone that has that much confidence in the work that, what they're doing. And I didn't want to get in the way of that. So we go to the golf course and we play nine holes and invariably he, he, um, he shows me the set of skills that he demonstrated in session that he demonstrated in that previous event when he shot 63 and won by 18 shots. And uh, finishing up that story, we're on the final hole, and I, it was hitting every fairway and every green, and two putting along the way, and I wasn't seeing any short game skills, so I gave him a challenge. I said, the last three holes of this, nine holes we'll play, I'm gonna lay down three uh, up and down opportunities for you, uh, three short game shots. And you're gonna pitch, chip, or hit him out of the sand. Sorry, time out. Yep. You just called it an up and down opportunity. Is mm -hmm. that is that a thing? Yeah, that's a thing. So miss a green, up is the shot onto the green, and the down is the putt into the hole. No, I know what up and down is, but you <laughs> called it an opportunity. Opportunity. Well, a lot of people would call it a problem. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah, I guess. I guess that just, just, so that's just innately your mind? That's the way I, you see it? I think so, yeah. That's, that's not like a rule of, of, of working with camera? No, not at all. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So anyway, you yeah. put down the three balls. Back to back the to opportunities. The, yeah, so he's... Four over par through the first six opportunities. So the first hole we play three, he makes two bogeys, plays in three and makes one par. The next hole, he does the same thing. We get to the final hole and I've set a reward for him as well. I said, if you play these in three over par or less, I'm going to buy you a hat from the Broccolo golf shop. And Broccolo, Tillinghouse course, 1920, it's like held in high esteem in his mind. He's never been here before. It's a, it's a pretty uh, immaculate place, particularly coming from where he grew up, which is a public, no, no, well, semi-private facility of 54 holes, Brookhaven. And uh, he's behind the eight ball, and I'm not seeing a short game skill set that he described in our interview session. And I want to take it easy on him because I don't want to knock his ego down. I don't want to uh, influence his identity in any direction, right? I, wanna, I still want this kid to have confidence leaving the session. And I give him a pretty simple up and down this next one from just off the fringe, about a 25, 35-foot uh, chip and run, and he, he chips it in. So he goes from four over par to three over par. And he's right on, now on the, on the win threshold, right? He has to play nine opportunities uh, in three over power or less. And the next one, I put him in a bunker, and he hits this sick little spinning bunker shot that I hadn't seen from a 12-year-old to that point, and taps it in. And so the last 
uh, hole or the last opportunity, I make it as tough as I possibly can because I don't know whether I'm going to see this 12-year-old again. This is the first time I'm seeing he and his dad. I'm just evaluating him. Not too sure whether he likes it or hates it. So to give a kid a hat that I'd never seen before, that was in the back of my mind. <laughs> and so I make it as tough as I can, buried in Bermuda grass, middle of summer, Dallas, Texas, short-sighted, downslope, about 15 feet of green to work with. And he sets, I'm getting stressed. Yeah, and he sets up to the shot and takes a couple of practice swings, testing out the grass, which in my mind was like, oh, Christ. Brilliant. This kid has a really high golf IQ to evaluate how the club's going to move through the grass to see if we, whether he can slide the ball under, which then informs him as to what shot he should play. He strolls on down to the edge of green, looking at where he should land the shot, and then walks back and looks at me. And he just smiles. And he sets into the shot, takes a little waggle, and he hits this sick flop shot. It hits on the fringe exactly where I could anticipate he was looking at landing it, and it trickles on down and hits the hole. And I just, I just lose my shit. <laughs> and I look at the hole, I look back up, and he points at me, he says, how about that hat? <laughs> how about that hat? <laughs> 12 years old. And then a few years later, he said, how about that jacket? Exactly, that green one, yeah. So, wow. What a great experience. That was my third, are you kidding me, Jordan Spieth moment. It happened within a two and a half, three hour time frame of meeting the kid. I think we all met Jordan Spieth at the John Deere. Uh, where were you then? Met him at the John Deere in what way? We all, in, in, at the in, 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 as golf fans, right, when he chipped in, and I believe that was the first playoff hole, or, yeah. or maybe it was the final hole regulation. I can't quite remember. but Yeah, so he pitched it out of the bunker to get into the playoff. He, yes, he, he went, he, yes. Yeah, I was driving home from lessons. I knew what was happening, and I wanted to get home and watch it with my family at the chance that he would win. I wanted to share it with those people that had supported me uh, through the working, tw well, 70 hours a week, uh, through not seeing dad because he's out there coaching or not seeing uh, husband because he's out there coaching. And I could have stayed at the club. Everyone at the club was watching it. This is Brooke Hollow in the golf shop. I saw the crowd gathering and I knew what was happening, but I was, I booked at home. So 15 minutes I missed. I saw the hole out bunker shot at the club and then I drove home knowing it was a playoff and knowing that he had to wait for the final group to finish. And then I watched those, those, uh, those holes at home. And I still have the seven iron that he used from the right trees in that final hole of John Deere, mm -hmm. whatever playoff hole that was, maybe the second or third playoff hole. Uh, and it's a, a memento that he gave me to commemorate that uh, first victory. That seven iron he pitched under the trees and rolls to the back of the green and two-putted for that first victory. That was pretty much, at that point, the curtain was drawn and the world was introduced to him. Uh, at least, you know, the, the, the larger percentage of I think golf fans. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, and then pretty much, w w did anything change at that point? Or was it really just uh, status quo as far as his attitude and, and your sort of um, uh, syllabus? Yeah, it's an insightful question. And it's the amazing thing about Jordan, his brother, his sister, and the, and the collective of family is that at many points in time, maybe I anticipated or maybe I expected or maybe I thought there might be a change in our interaction, he to I and he to everyone else around him. And all the while, perspective was just, I'm just Jordan Spieth, I'm, I love golf and I want to become the best person I can. Um, and that's a player, but also it's the best person he can. And so what you see come across in interviews, in every maybe exposure to uh, knowing more about him, it's authentic, it's, it's, it's not a facade and it never has been. I remember back to finishing 16th, in his first uh, professional event, playing as an amateur at the PGA Tour event, Byron Nelson. And I anticipated that that would have been the biggest opportunity for him to 
get a big head and walk around like he's on cloud nine and for him to expect that everyone around him should worship him. And, and it wasn't that. And that comes back to family. Shine that light directly back to mum and dad. Shine that light to the extended family, grandma, grandpa, etc., etc. And that gave me an interesting perspective in how to manage, I guess, development of, of uh, son and daughter that hopefully I've learned in implementing those lessons. Fantastic. Okay, we'll take a quick break. Be right back. All right, folks, you know my favorite golf shoe, don't you? I think you do. It's three-stripe life, y'all, and that means Adidas. Um, and so anyway, I just wanted to tell you that when I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Tour 360, obviously, and uh, they've made a huge update to the Tour 360, and uh, the two letters that it's concerned with are the letters X and T, okay? The Tour 360 XT changes the game, okay? It's lighter, so your feet feel even better after a round. By the way, a light golf shoe is what I'm all about. A heavy, there are some other companies making heavy golf shoes, and I'm just like, by the way, I weigh enough. There's enough going on. I'm carrying a golf bag. I'm carrying my team. Um, Tour XT changes the game. It's lighter, so your feet feel even better after a round, and it still features that boost, y'all. Do you know where boost comes from? It And boost is cool because it only comes in black and white. I don't know if you noticed that. And actually, they the guy who made boost like was going to bring it to some other, you know, they, they were shopping it around, and everyone else said no. Adidas was like, I'll take that boost, even though it's only black and white. And what did Adidas do with it? They made it awesome. I'm looking at boost right now on my feet boost on my feet uh and it has an x-shaped traction system that gives you insane stability literally it's not sane it's literally crazy your feet will literally be like i'm crazy best part it comes in spikeless Ooh, that's tight the first spikeless ever in the history of the tour 360 crazy comfortable and perfect for the course get your pair at adidas.com thank me later follow adidas golf for all the latest and greatest that's all true statements right there check it out go support adidas because they're a good company good people i like it Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. All right, we're back, everybody. Uh, and now we have a third. We've, we've, uh, we've, Corey has joined us. Corey Lumber, yeah. can you... Uh, it, but can't, we were making a joke as the commercials were airing that Cameron was saying, I just can't wait to hear how Corey introduces himself. So we're all surprised. Yeah. And my parents also listening want to know who right. Corey Lundberg is. Let's, yeah. let's hear Well, I, I guess for this context right here, I mean, I'm uh, Cameron's business partner with Altus and I'm a golf coach. And yeah, he, he, you said that he gave the best explanation that you ever heard. So anything that I say right now is going to fall short of that. So <laughs> just leave it at that. I'll be simple. I'm, I'm not going to try to. You, uh, you, you're the first person to speak on the Earn Your Edge podcast that you guys do together. Usually, typically, you, you yeah. introduce it. Yeah, uh, is that how did that come about? That's at least that's forward facing. Is aside from people who are um, lucky enough to visit you guys at Altus and and or lucky enough to work with you around the world. You guys have a podcast. Can you can you explain which I was on, which you yeah. should check out? And yes. I was actually wondering. Actually, you know what would be cool is uh, so what, what and what I was gonna we just. I don't know why I cut. I cut yeah. to talk about it. Yeah, I didn't, let's keep this raw. I didn't want to put you guys on the spot, gotcha. but I cut and basically asked Cameron and Corey if they'd be okay if I took their 
uh, recording of the podcast that we did for yours, Earn Your Edge, which, by the way, I, I, I posted it, and people will hit me up, and they're like, that is the best podcast you've ever done. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really good. It was You guys are great interviewers, Thank and you. I was Thank like, you. I felt, you know, like... I, I realized that maybe um, I felt very taken care of, you know what I mean? Like in a nice. sense of like you guys were like, you knew you knew what you wanted. And I realized that maybe people feel very terrified when they sit down to a podcast yeah. with me because it could go anywhere. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I like that. I like okay, good. Idea. All right. Yeah. Terr- terrifying is good. Yeah. But anyway, talk about Earn Your Edge and, and tell me a little about that and how you guys collaborate on yeah, that. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with just kind of the origin and the reason why we started in the first place. Um, like 2016, well, really 2015, 2016, but especially there felt like there was a time in 2017 where the players that we coach, our clients, were were achieving um, uh, what felt like at the time an unsustainable amount of success, like LPGA, European Tour, PGA Tour, and then even the juniors. They're just too good. Well, no, I mean, it's just like we look around like we're pinching ourselves. Like everyone is playing really, really good right now. Drop, can you drop some names, please? Well, I mean, Jordan would have been a good example. There was a time where of the, even going back to like, um, like junior golf, like there was a time there's a ranking. I, I think there was a time there. That Five of the top, no, sorry, seven six, of the top 20 yeah. in the country. I think of those seven, it was six of them were in the side of the top 10 yeah. in the country. That's the junior rankings. Uh, that same year, Jordan won the Open Championship. So Yon won the ANA. Anna Nordquist won Evian. IK Kim won the Rico Women's British Open. Yeah. There was uh, another victory from a client on the web.com tour and multiple. Cole Hammer won an event, an amateur event that year, et cetera, et cetera. It was, it was, it was unreal. Yeah. It, was, it was a long list. And mm-hmm. so in that moment as coaches, you know, we're, we're taking a pause and saying, all right, what's, what's going on right here? Like what's in the water? Like if something, if we're doing something different, we need to capture this so that we can continue this. And so we, we set up a time, I think it was like at the end of 2017, mm-hmm. where we had, we just set up interviews. So this wasn't a podcast. We just sat down with a few players and we had some, we kind of had a list of questions that we were trying to collect data on to see if. Uh, Essentially running a post-mortem on yeah, how does these right. things happen. Interesting. Yeah. It was like your own press conference kind of. Well, yeah. And so, but we did it for us internally to see if, if we could learn anything. And then we were having these conversations and a lot of common threads kept, like it was spooky really? sometimes. Like how, like almost verbatim players would say like the same thing someone else had said. And so, you know, to us, we we're like, well, shit, that we might be honest something. We should share this with like everybody. And that, and so that was the reason why we were like, let's try to turn some of these conversations even, and we even used some of the ones where that, that weren't, that were for us internally as episodes. And that's why you have this separate introduction where you're like, it's, that's I'm exactly Corlever, right. Welcome to the earn your, ah, yeah, that, I see. And then, and then that became the format. And then, so that's, that's what we continue to do. It's really great. You guys are really, you have a great interview style and you have great subjects and you're obviously, you know, the familiarity helps, but you know, you guys have a very, probably a tribute to what makes you great at uh, helping people succeed on the course is probably very, there's some similar potion there, which helps you. uh, It's a good listening ability, I guess, is to, is to host a good podcast. Yeah, cool. You have to be good at asking questions, definitely. And you're the master of asking questions. You would be a good coach if you wanted to turn your attention. That's nice of you. We'll actually hire you on on the air, offering (laughs) you a job right now. (laughs) To to coach people. I don't know what I could coach them into. I think I would give them bad habits on the course. I'd be like, throw away your scorecard. (laughs) Grab your seven iron. 
Let's go play a few holes. So far, great advice. Throw away the scorecard. <laughs> that's great advice. It's the most immediate way to increase enjoyment. Well, that's what Jones I said. This wonderful guy, Max, who just started playing golf eight months ago, you know, he said at lunch after 18, he said, I want to be a scratch golfer. And I said, great. Do you think that'll help you enjoy the game more? And he just sort of, he had a snarky answer. But, uh, but it is a curiosity. Like, how do you guys see that? I mean, you guys mostly interface with the, the highest level. Do you see score having an effect on them? Or are they, are they just versed? in the ups and downs of it all. Yeah, because they, they've got a lot of writing on it. So, I mean, they have a lot invested. And so it's inherent in that is they need to perform really, really well. But yeah, it's like managing or balancing enjoyment and performance. Like they're tied together. They're, they're not separate. And part of our job is to push them towards, you know, positive experiences, positive outcomes. And so, you know, and when we're training players, you know, we have to balance, balance that challenge point. Like what, with Cameron's story before of making sure that he didn't pick a shot that was too difficult for uh, Jordan in that first session so that he protects that self-image because if our self-image is, is damaged and we're not having a whole lot of fun. And so I think it can kind of be dialed into like challenge point. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, and making sure that um, no matter who we're coaching, whether it be a, an aspirational young player or a competitive player, uh, elite competitive players that were mal- managing the challenge point that they've got, if that makes sense, like yeah. how difficult things are for them so that there's this good balance of, um, I'm not so overwhelmed by this task, but by what you're asking me to do that it's that I, f- I feel like I can't do it, but also like I'm aroused. I, I have challenge right here. Like I- I'm kind of into what you're asking me to do. So, I mean, it's kind of trying to meet that point. Right. And, and where did the name Altus come from? Is that, what does it, it mean? It's a Latin word. There yeah. was a bunch of really shitty names that we came up with. You're really like, we were going to call it better Google. We were going to call it Yahoo. Yeah, it's been butchered on Golf Channel two weeks in a row. So if anybody's listening, what do they to say, Golf what do they Channel, call it on Golf? Atlas. Yeah, they called Atlas? me Corey Lindbergh from Atlas Performance, and they they said because Marty Doe, one of Cameron's clients, won last week, and then they had one of my clients mic'd up this week, so. Yeah, Altus. It's nice yeah. to get the airtime, but it's also nice for the pronunciation of both a person's name and also the organization Altus. Yeah, that would be it's hard. So it's Craig, hard to Craig Google. Perks, if you're listening, we appreciate the uh, <laughs> exactly. the shout out, but yeah, yeah let's refine that. You mean so, Craig, Craig Sparks? Craig Perks. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Yes, He's great. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's a la- the real answer is it's a Latin word that means higher, grow higher. Oh, I yeah. like it. Mm-hmm. I like it. And you guys basically, uh, when, when did the idea for that start? Yeah. You want to go back to how we came to... Go for it. Because, I mean, a lot of people would just be satisfied with, like, you know, your individual careers. Yeah, sure. So I'm working at Brook Hollow. I've been at Brook Hollow 12, 13 years, and an opportunity comes about to move to something greater, uh, to grow beyond my own, I guess influence so I can 158 hours in the week and I can only see so many people uh, in a week or a year Uh, and then when this opportunity came about I wanted to bring other people on board Uh, I feel like what I do is unique only in the sense that I've built a body of knowledge that allows me to coach well but it can be codified meaning you can teach someone to do what I do it's not a unique skill set can be learned um, if you wanted to term it as a set of coaching superpowers can be learned. It's just not innate, unattainable to mere mortals. And in so doing, 
uh, for me to grow, I didn't want to brand it my name. And the reason for that is it needs to exist as an identity beyond one person. Otherwise, it's seen as one person's IP, and it's really not. It's a collective of wisdom and idea and uh, efforts and achievement from many. And so then became uh, the pursuit of what's it going to be called. But even before that was a conversation, because Corey and I's relationship goes back 10 years pre-Altus, and it was, we're at the PGA show. Well, actually, even before that, when we saw each other at the PGA show, he reminded me that actually, we actually played golf when I was a young assistant. Mm -hmm. he, was a, he was working the bagger at Preston Trail yeah. or Castle Hills? That's probably Castle Hills, yeah. It was a very memorable experience for yeah, you. Yeah, not for me, but for you it was. Yeah. Uh -huh. Exactly. Yep, and I think really there's some other impression. experiences that you can reflect back on in college that were similar to that. Yeah, right. Yeah, but nonetheless, I digress. Getting back to our relationship, we knew each other for many years before. Uh, we had uh, similar, I guess, interests in education. And we'd always see each other at these events and talk and chat about where are you headed in your career, where am I headed in my career, and then ultimately that was the uh, spring from which uh, came, hey, let's join forces. Right. And at the same time, I, would, I joined forces with another person in Dallas, Andrew Lewis, and Andrew's running our facility at Old American, which is just north of, uh, of Dallas in the colony. And then Corey and I are down at Trinity Forest, and uh, most recently, as recently as September of Last year, we opened with uh, uh, Guillaume Bijot at La Vaudre, which is about an hour north of Paris. So we've got a facility in France now. That's exciting. Yeah, mm -hmm. I saw that. Uh, the Instagram uh, Atlas uh, Europe. Or, uh, what? Oh, jeez. Craig Sparks. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Dang, it just sort of gets in there. and You can't, it's, it can't get it out. Uh -huh. Can't get it out. Like, it's going to be a rebranding here in about a week. I've done that. Mm -hmm. um, you, uh, but actually, you know, you guys talk about how you met, and, and it sounds kind of funny. We, um, you know, my team, right, we've all sort of met in these funny ways, right? And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, it sort of generated this idea for us of what we jokingly refer to, but also quite seriously, of this random golf club. And the idea I feel like you guys would probably have an interesting take on is that you sort of... Uh, you know, you, I don't even know if I totally understand it, to be honest with you, but it, the idea seems to be that um, golf is really this place where, um, you know, you, you uh, it's like a Ouija board. You know, you kind of go out there and you just say, this is what I want. And then you basically come back into the clubhouse as if you were panning for gold and you're like, well, this is what I got. Mm -hmm. And then you go out the next day and you're like, okay, this is what I want. And then you come back with what you got. And, and at some point down the line, they sort of merge together based on I don't know what factors, but it seems like you guys have probably done that for a couple of days. Uh, and 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 as well, the idea is how you connect to people along the way. Uh, I mean, that's a super open-ended question. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know if it's a question. Which yeah. means you can run with it any direction you want. Yeah. Corey, go. Yeah, no, any more. <laughs> we need to, we need to dig in more to that question because I don't I don't think I follow. What I'm saying is the the uh, the the wonderfully. Um, I guess I don't know if I have a question. I guess I'm just saying, you know, the the way you guys met. Yeah. If you could trace it back to that, was that the moment that that Altus started, or what, or what, you know, I mean, like, I mean, like, if do you ever go back and try to unravel the yarn? Yeah. And then you're like, well, how did it even start? Like, I, I mean, pin I pinch myself when I think, God, I'm so glad that it did happen this way. You know, for me, going back ten years, you know, Cameron and I were. Um, we were traveling on the same journey on the same road, but he was just 
further ahead on, you know, both years experience and, and what he had accomplished. And so very much like a big brother that I kind of looked to him as. And so, yeah, going back to however many years that, that was ago, uh, I don't know about unraveling that, but just being, you know, there, I, th I think what you're speaking, I'm going to try to interpret it. I think what you're speaking to is just kind of the, the serendipity of these kind of relationships that you form along the way. And then you kind of connect to people who, who kind of speak a similar language, who see the world the same way, who are aligned philosophically. And, and yeah, golf gives us that opportunity to, to do that a lot. I, I don't know if I'm, that, that's conjecture on what your point was or where you were going, but that's how I interpret it. I love conjecture. Okay, cool. <laughs> Good. Um, I, yeah, I guess, I don't know. It was, it, it was a, um, we're moving on. Um, <laughs> moving on. Uh, but, uh, Corey, what, um, what do you find most difficult about, about what you guys are trying to do? Like from growing, um, growing Altus or from just the coaching from like, being with a, with a client, I, I think I think coaching. I think I think the uh, the one to one kind of interpersonal situation. Yeah. So there's a really difficult part is the the inevitable um, blips on that kind of road to mastery. That there's a downturn in performance and managing it because it's inevitable. What the players that we're with, what they're doing is really really difficult to do. They're playing for high stakes and. Um, no one is exempt from the variability that comes. And so managing, helping players, not only uh, with their physical skills, manage that variability that comes, but also mentally, like how do you handle those ups and downs and how do you fight through it? And, you know, the, the conversations that we have with really, really high performers that have been really, really successful, how they handle um, the challenges that come is often like the biggest separator. So, the same event can happen to two different people. One reacts in a way that's really productive and empowering. And so they're better for it. And then some people don't react that way. And so th that's the hardest part is just getting people to uh, helping them along that road when they respond to when shit hits the fan and it's tough and, and it's hard. And yeah, that, that's a difficult part sometimes. Is there, is there a technique that you use to try to, to, to teach people or try to help people to work through that in a help in a, in a yeah. positive way. Yeah. So, I mean, like we'll talk like the micro sense, like not like macro, that's just like our philosophy and coaching and how we have conversations and help people. But like on a macro sense, micro sense, like in a, in a round of golf, for sure. Like when that, when shit hits the fan in the round of golf where something bad goes on, um, it's really difficult to, in that spot, when you've got emotion tied to whatever happened to come up with something that's going to get you out of it, something that's helpful, you know? And so we always try to preload that to where our players have a blueprint and we call it the shit hits the fan plan to where they've got, I know that plan. Yeah, right. Exactly. So they've got like three affirmations. So really rather than, rather than try to like when I get, when you're like breaking clubs pissed off, yeah. like you're not going to come up with like the wisdom that you need to get you out of it to, to turn stuff around. And so, yeah, we got affirmations that we would, it could be written on a yardage book. It could be some things that you go to that says, all right, I'm going to collect myself here and I'm going to kind of move out of whatever. And if that doesn't work, we, we also have, we really want our players to understand when they're playing their best golf, what does it look like physically? Like, so if I'm observing, if I'm watching Eric play golf, when he's on his A game, like, what does he look like? Like, what is the pace that he has? Like, does he have his head high? Is he talking a lot? Like, physically, what are those characteristics? And having our players understand, like, what does it look like when you play really good? And then no matter what happens, 
try to embody that. It's almost like you're getting into character and you don't want to break out of that character. And so that can be a helpful piece. And then there's the mental, like what are the mental characteristics? What are you thinking in your mind when, when you are playing your best? And so if you can have that stuff like as a blueprint preloaded, it's a hell of a lot more easy to access than when you're pissed off and you're breaking clubs and throwing stuff. So that is so. I've never thought of that. The second one, the what does it look like when you're playing your best golf? Like, yeah, they, they that's came, awesome. They, they came out of like us asking ourselves that question as coaches, like because I'll I've coached enough around Cameron where I'll see Cameron like I know when he's like coaching well. I can just see it. Like I can just see the way that he moves, like the energy they have. Like I'll I'll know when he's and so it's like what does it look like when you're doing this really really well? I mean I think you can do that for any performance, anything that anyone's doing. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of uh, Deepak Chopra talks about, you know, he describes like, you know, as one of his uh, ways of playing good golf mentally is to observe yourself playing golf. Right. He doesn't say observe yourself playing golf at a high level or at your, or your best ability, but he says, you know, just, just sort of from right behind yourself, like six feet up third and person. back, third person observing. Yeah, cool. As in, I never, I've never thought about including the like, and I'm good at golf right now. Right. What um, you, uh, you talked about that made me think of, uh, do you guys, you watch a lot of golf, I'm sure, both live and on TV or whatever. Do you have a favorite walk of a golfer? Like, you know, how every golfer mm. walks differently. Mm. Do, you, do you have one that yeah. you like more than others? I like Rory a lot. What do you, what do you like about bouncy. it? bouncy. So here's the deal. So we've asked so many, um, so many players that question of like really good players, the question of what does it look like when you play your best golf? Like, how are you walking? And so many of them say kind of like Rory. Really? Like that's a really common answer that I hear just cause it's kind of the chest out heads up. It's yeah. got a little bit of bounce to it. it. It like looks really confident. And so people really good players, like PJ tour players, European tour players, they cite Rory as like, yeah, that would be kind of be Do my you, model. Does Rory know this? Uh, d- no, I don't. We got to let him know. Yeah. Yeah. But I think Rory, by the way he walks, Rory knows it. We could, I think, I think <laughs> Rory, you're right. Yeah. He's got big walk energy. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. My, should, my answer to that would be DJ. DJ yeah, I was thinking that DJ. slow saunter, long, languid steps. And it seems like the cadence of the walk is the cadence of his head, the thoughts in his head, which is never running too fast, kind of vibrating at a low frequency. Uh, very mellow, very chill. And I yeah. think that's a really good way to approach a lot of this. Like, you need energy, yes. And, uh, but if you're too high on energy, uh, vibrating at too high a frequency and you can recognize that, you need to slow things down, starting with your walk and um, the cadence of breathing also can, can really help you kind of get back to a foundation of, okay, let's slow things down, let's calm things down, and then we can build back our energy level to that appropriate state. Mm-hmm. Also, also the walk, when you know that you've won the tournament uh, from fairway to green with your putter in hand, that's the walk I really like. Yeah, that's a good walk. <laughs> what did you call it? Um, uh, you, you talked about um, when Jordan was at, on the eve of sort of winning this little game for the hat. You mm-hmm. called it, there was two words you used, um, with threshold, win threshold. 
Yeah, the wind threshold. Yep. That's a term? Yep. I don't know this term. Mm. I've never been there. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on the other side of it. We can help you find that situation. <laughs> um, I liked, uh, I, well, to go back to DJ, he, he, DJ has a thing when he walks where it looks like he's looking at a different country. Yep. Like he's, just, he's just looking like <laughs> 5,000 miles exactly. away. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful, isn't it? I always, uh, you know, I'll be honest, like I'm, you know, I, um, I don't know what it was, but the first time I watched Fred Couples in person, I think it was at Riv, I was like, that, that's a walk. Exactly. Yeah. And I wasn't obviously on this, uh, you know, idea of, you know, visualizing yourself, but I just remember like, it probably, it could be because of his back problems, but he had this, he just walks like yeah. he's on flip flops. Uh, <laughs> he looks, he's like in weekend at Bernie's, <laughs> not a care in the world. The game has given him everything. I love that. Um, that's so interesting. Are there any other? Oh, that's the idea of the of the walk is very unusual. Are there any other unusual things that you've had to uh, sort of come up with to get your point across? I mean, I think we're constantly trying to innovate inside of being effective as coaches, and that would be the crazy drills that we try sometimes on ourselves, most of the time on ourselves, and sometimes even on students throwing shit against the wall and seeing if it sticks. I mean, that's the cornerstone of innovation, isn't it? Uh, trying something and recognizing whether it's a uh, innovative new use case for whether it's a tool or um, telling something, someone something in a different way. So uh, countless are those, uh, I guess, experiences. But uh, do you have yeah, any? Yeah, I mean, I, like, that's a good point of trying to find a variety of uses for like an object. Like, again, I'll walk by Cameron's Bay and like take a s double take and be like, Where's that theraband tied to on that person right there? Like, what? How's he use? I've never seen that that used. Why does he have the person's hands tied behind their yeah, back? Like, <laughs> like, holy shit! What's he doing in there? And are like, they, yeah, are like, they in trouble? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and so, like, yeah, as as Cam says, like the way that you innovate and come up with new ideas is like you can take, you know, in coaching we can take a training aid, use it differently than what it's meant for, a random object, and like just try to get as creative as we can. And so, yeah, we've come up with some plenty of shitty ideas doing that, but then a handful of really good ideas that mm -hmm. end up kind of becoming plays that we call often in coaching. Yeah. What, what do you, what would you say in, uh, it, we can wind this down in a sec, but what, what would you say is the, uh, is the, have you noticed a theme around where inspiration strikes you? A theme. D does it, does it come, what, is there any sort of, um, what's the word? Like, like, um, uh, what do they call it? Like, like, uh, helpful factors to creating innovation for you guys or, yeah, or new thought. Two things that come to mind immediately when you ask that question are time. Like if I'm given a block of time where I don't have anything pressing, then my mind goes to innovation in often, often cases. Uh, and then the other side of that is when I'm really pressed by a problem that's keeping me awake at night that I'm ruminating when I go to sleep and I'm still carrying with me when I wake up that also pushes me towards innovation. It's like high gear problem solving at that point. And those are the two kind of accelerators towards or uh, gateways towards coming up with unique stuff. Hmm. I would say when we're reading a lot, like, which is really difficult for us to find the time, you know, young families and busy travel schedule and coaching schedule. But when we're reading a lot, we, we, I find a lot of inspiration in that. And there's a, a guy named Wade Gilbert who taught us something really important about how we read to try to make makes uh, the most use out of that limited time we have is that um, to kind of look for best principles and what we're reading. So rather than just look for like 
the best practices and just like pinch and steal from what other people are doing. Like trying to read in a way other coaches kind of coach education in a way that that lets us look at like, well, why does this work for someone outside of golf in another sport? What are the principles behind that? And then how can we apply that to what we do? And, and to me, that's where a lot of our inspiration comes from. And then like just outside of golf too mm -hmm. is where a lot of that inspiration comes from for us. It's, it's cool to bring something outside of golf and back and, and make it our own. Yeah. Okay. I have a, do you guys, I have one more thing, but do you guys have anything you want to add and ask, add, Change, delete, no, no. re-record. No. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. Okay, it's, this is a total. This could this could end so badly. I don't know. <laughs> Love it. What a but great guys, way to preface. You guys have inspired me to try something new. Uh, I kind of, I kind. It's it's going to be tough because there's. I don't know how to do this with uh, two people really. Yeah. It, so so actually, you should decide who's going to go first. I'll let Corey go first. Okay. All right, Corey goes first. Yeah. All right. So I'm, I, if you could uh, write a letter to the game of golf, uh, how would it go? Oh, Just real God. briefly. If I could write a letter to the game of golf, it would be a, it would 100% be like, it'd be three kinds of letters. This is a really good question. Like a thank you letter, like appreciation, like, holy shit, look at where I am right now. Thank you so much for uh, the fact that I started this when I was, I was a kid and it's given me time with my family, like bonding with my dad, now bonding with my son gives me friendships and a job and that I love that I wake up in the, in the morning and uh, makes makes my my heart sing then there's a different letter that's like a, I miss you letter like I don't really get to play you very much anymore and I really miss you and I wish that I could reconnect with you sometimes so two two types of letters I think that I would write very nice yeah. and I think the gratitude would be a good starting point and I would echo that sentiment but on the back of the one letter that I would write would be a request looking to the future to open up and change, to take down uh, barriers to entry. So no fences, no gates. You can have your community that you can call your club, but let's invite more people in that are good contributors to that club, to that culture. Uh, so yeah, and, and openness. We can't end now, unfortunately, because you brought up a whole... <laughs> I don't know what you've got scheduled on the day, but yeah, real quickly though, Cameron, uh, you know, there's a lot of people listening to this who work in golf, mm -hmm. right? Literally, there's, 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 there's presidents of resorts, there's greenskeepers, there's directors of golf, there's head pros, there's assistant supers, there's caddies, there's, um, you know, maintenance workers, there's people in the restaurant, like we're, this is the fight club of mm -hmm. the golf industry right here, <laughs> right? Right. Well, how do we do what you just said? How do we how do we take down the fences? I mean, literally, because yeah. there is there is a binary solution mm -hmm. that uh, for some reason uh, we can't seem to outline. And so, if I were to help, what what would I do, or what or what would a listener do? Yeah, the first rule of Fight Club is go back to the best answer that I've heard. And when we put you on the spot on the In Your Edge podcast, you came up with a brilliant answer, and we appreciate that. And coming from looking at things through your lens, you said it starts with me. One person's actions can make a difference. And if it's the actions of a head professional or an assistant professional or a general manager at a, at a what may be known or be in reality a stuffy club, uh, embrace that female member, that youth member when they come in and let them know that they're more welcome. When I worked in the private industry, now I'm still in a, at a private club, but on the side of interacting with the members far more often, Always at the ladies' clinics, it would be, 
yeah, but when I go into the golf shop or when I show up, it's like, I know the tennis space because that's the space where a lot of the ladies live, but golf is like the men's side. And am I allowed to do this? Am I allowed to do this? A little hand-holding, a little guidance along the way is really necessary. But again, first rule of Fight Club, best principle is what, what difference can you make as one person? I forgot I said that. That was good. <laughs> yeah, Thank you. Well, I mean, I, th I think that is a big part of it. You know, it's so funny to be playing golf and, and you, you look over the other fairway, you, you big wave, mm -hmm. no response, and you're like, huh. <laughs> 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 I guess they don't like me. Well, and it's funny because I don't really care anymore. I used to care. But I can only imagine what it would be like to be new mm -hmm. and to experience that. That would right. be that would be pretty that, that would that would be difficult. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, big waves, big waves to you too. Thank you for joining. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. This has been a great Lost, morning. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm excited for everyone to hear this, and um, uh, we'll put all your socials down below. But basically, you know, you got what primary is Instagram, Twitter, uh, Instagram for sure Instagram. at Altus Performance, and so we post a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Spelled A L T U S right. performance. Mm -hmm. exactly. We're also on, also on YouTube as well. We're propagating more videos that direction as well. So very good. All of our all of our plays, the stuff that we do to make a difference in, in players' experiences and skills, are essentially given away for free. So you can have an as-like experience, like you're like you're being coached by us. Do you think Jordan would ever just go straight to YouTube tech? <laughs> He's like, I think I'm good. I got I, this. I found this great YouTube channel, Atlas Performance. Have you heard of that? <laughs> Ouch, don't close with that. No, no, all this, everybody. All this. Thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Cheers. Man.